Hey guys, and welcome back to the Continuing the Conversation podcast. Uh, as you know, our goal in this podcast, we're walking through the book of Genesis as a community, and we want to hit the spots that we can't cover on a Sunday morning. So we're just um, continuing the conversation, filling in the gaps. And today I am joined by my good buddy, Greg Clawson. How are you doing, Greg? I'm doing good, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So, Greg, do you feel the pressure? You are, you're basically uh, the next man on deck after Gordon Spivey. Yeah, he did. He did really well. So, uh, not that I was surprised, but it was just it was it was different than what I expected. Right. And yeah, I think I think I was it was really pleasing. So I'm, yeah, I'm happy uh, so so feel no pressure, but you're you're trying to. It's a tough act to follow. Yeah, well, I don't want to show him up either. So you know. <laughs> Wow. wow. I love I love the humility. <laughs> That's good. So uh, let's start with just some highlights from today's message uh, from Carolyn. Tell me, Greg, what, what stuck out to you? What was kind of your big takeaways? Yeah, no, it was really cool. So I was driving up I-95 from Florida this morning and, um, yeah, listened to Carolyn's message. And um, it was, she was hitting on a real, lot of really cool stuff. I think that kind of was already kind of tracking with, um, but it was good to hear it from her because it means that I was tracking in the right direction. Um, but just the story that she opened up with about the, you know, the guy who was on death, uh, death row who was trying to get his sentence communed and they wouldn't because basically he didn't show remorse for what he did, right? Um, and just, you know, remorse is something that shows up. You know, Carolyn mentioned that God feels remorse for um, for what humanity has done to his creation. Um, and she, just the way that she kind of tied that into later in the message, how, you know, we show remorse or we have opportunities to show remorse for things that we've done um, or just regrets. And, um, you know, it kind of made me think about something that Gordon had touched on last week about like repentance, right? Mm. So this is kind of the direction my mind went, but she kind of went in a cooler direction. Um, but the idea that, you know, what if, you know, just thinking about it as a thought experiment, what if Cain had repented? Or what yeah. if Adam and Eve had repented? Sure. And, um, you know, it kind of made me think of like, how, how long do you think Noah spent building that ark? Yeah, so, um, you know, some scholars think it was around 100 years. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Peter talks about how uh, Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and mm-hmm. so in some ways this First is this, three. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so so in some ways this is this huge symbol that God's judgment is coming, mm-hmm. and these people are getting copious amounts of time to actually yeah. repent, and that Noah is, you know, it, and it's easy to kind of read through this and miss it, but. You know, Noah, Noah is someone that God's declared as righteous, yeah. right? Um, he's living in this world that's, like, he's immersed in this world that's kind of gone evil and become mm-hmm. corrupted. You know, it's like yep. around him. He's, yep. he's just got to see it. And, and, you know, you just kind of imagine what that's got to feel like. Yeah. Um, but he sees this, and, and I just imagine during that time that he was building the ark, mm-hmm. someone must have come across and said, hey, what are you doing? You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and he said what he was doing and why. And um, I feel like, too, that we're talking about a time when it wasn't a question. That, the question wasn't, did people believe in God? Mm-hmm. You know, in the ancient world, everybody believed in a God. Yeah. Um, so if these people see what Noah's doing and they're listening to why he's doing it. Yeah. And they're not repenting. 
Yeah. Is it because they don't believe in God or they just, I just don't want to. Yeah. I just don't want to repent, yeah. you know? And, and I think also kind of where the story is, it's the fact that it's right after Cain, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think it's really easy too, the way we were taught these a lot to kind of split them up into kind of different stories, sure. but you know, you've got Cain building the city and then you've got that going to Lamech yeah. and you've got this evilness and this wickedness that kind of just starts as Cain mm-hmm. and builds and builds. And, and um, I'd heard somebody talking about like mold and yeast in Leviticus, right? Mm-hmm. The emphasis mm-hmm. on it. And, and, you know, these are all things that when they spread and get into things, it's hard to get them out. It's yeah. hard to get them clean yeah. and, and use, and that is kind of a, an imagery for how sin is, yeah. you know, and that sin, once it's kind of gets out and permeates, it's hard to get rid of, but it's also infectious. Yeah. Oh, no, and, no question. And I think you're seeing that in this story. Oh, um, yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, you go. Well, yeah. Um, I was going to say, uh, I loved the statement she made. She says, we, we serve our families best mm-hmm. by radical obedience to God. Uh, and, and there is that question of, okay, Am I willing to obey God to the place that it may not make a lot of sense for any other reason than it's just obedience to God? You know, if mm. you, 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 you ever had things in your life that's like, um, I'm primarily doing this because I just think God wants me to do it, but there might be an easier way to explain it. It might be, you know... I just feel like this is a better job uh, or a better fit for our family right mm-hmm. now or whatever, when the truth is, yeah, it's probably going to be a better fit, but ultimately you prayed, you listened, you heard from God, you felt like you said this is where he wants you to go, and you step out in faith. Mm-hmm. Like Those are the kind of things that are, are great legacy markers for your kids, for your grandkids. Um, for example, so my, my grandfather was not from Augusta, and Augusta is, uh, or was, at, at kind of in my, in my grandfather's day, uh, Atlanta, or excuse me, Augusta was the medical capital of the state of Georgia. Uh, chiropractors did not do well. Mm-hmm. And he was flying over Augusta. He was a pilot. He flew over Augusta and he felt like God told him, I want, you know, I want you in this city and, and showed him even the street corner that he wanted him on. He goes to the street corner, makes an offer on the building, somehow gets the building and five chiropractors had tried to make it in the city and had failed. And he wound up having tremendous success did it make sense on paper? No, mm-hmm. it was just what God told him to do. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I love that idea that obedience, yeah, yeah. radical obedience is the best way to serve your family. Well, and that is something you see kind of repeated a few times about Noah as he's building the ark and putting animals in the ark that that it, it refers to as obedience. Yep. You know, so it, it's not, I think it's partly the idea that this isn't something special or amazing. Like, like the the saving of this remnant that mm-hmm. that is going to come in the ark. It's not Noah. I mean, yeah. like, like he's not the one who's saving everyone. God yeah. save yeah. God saving the animals in his family. Um, but it's it's Noah's obedience to that that allows them to be saved. But but it's Noah's involved. But it's not Noah. Yeah, you know? ab- absolutely. And I think that's good to remember because I don't think 
you know, have you ever seen, have you ever seen the movie, uh, Multiplicity? I have not. Okay. So Multiplicity, it's, it's, it's from probably the nineties and it's Michael Keaton and he mm-hmm. comes across this, uh, the scientist who has this machine who can make clones of people, right? Hmm. So he's a construction worker. He's busy. He can't keep up with his family, all that. Yeah. So he makes, so he makes some copies and gets everything done. Well, what happens is you're not supposed to make a copy of the copy, mm-hmm. right? So he makes a copy of the copy and it's Lenny and Lenny mm-hmm. is just, he's just all goofed up in every way possible, mm-hmm. you know, and it makes the movie funny, but, um, you know, the, the city that gets established by Kane, uh-huh. you know, you think of cities back then they have, they have walls, right? You yeah. Think of Jericho. yeah. Um, walls for defense. We want to, we want to protect ourselves. What is, yeah. what does God promise to do for us? Um, you have trade and all these things that people can do to sustain themselves and, and, and keep themselves, you know, alive. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's almost like, it's like the Lenny version of the garden, yeah, right? Sure. It's, it's, we're trying to mimic all these things that God was doing, would have done for us in the garden. Yeah. Had we not got kicked out and, um, yeah, it's just that. Well, and you're particularly going to, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but you're particularly going to see that in the in the parallels um, or the comparisons, I should say, between uh, Babel and the call of yeah. Abram, right. uh, which we'll get in a couple of weeks. Let's, I'll tell you what I want to do. Um, I kind of want to get into, um, again, try to start filling in some gaps. Um we're going to focus primarily on chapters 7, 8, and 9 today, uh, but I want to hit a couple of things from chapter 6. Um, so first of all, Carolyn read uh, 6, 1 to 3, and talked about just what an incredibly strange, or 1 to 4, uh, just what an incredibly strange passage it is that the sons of God are seeing the daughters of men, and they th- think they're beautiful, and they're marrying them um, Caroline talked about how some scholars think these were just really massive men. I tend to take more of the line of thinking that the sons of God are some type of angelic being, mm-hmm. um, and that those angelic beings are um, rebelling against God's plan for them. They're supposed to be probably you know, kind of watching over humanity in some way, uh, and instead they are going after them sexually, yeah. Uh, And then it says that um, the Nephilim were on uh, the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. These were the heroes of old, men of renown. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you think about uh, Hercules Mm -hmm. and people like him in ancient Greek mythology is this kind of half god half man superman right. type that's really what you're seeing here right um and and so just in the same way that carolyn made the statement that there are several 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 accounts of the flood in ancient mm-hmm. or in antiquity um th- this is kind of a uh, another take on the same idea of yeah. you know angelic beings having Sex with uh, human or humans or women mm-hmm. and and producing these kind of demigod type offspring, right? Um, yeah, and and I know I'm not super knowledgeable on this at all. Um, I know I do remember the thing about right. There's there's other there's other 
stories like this, like, you know, you'll hear this sometimes people talk about it. It's like, oh, they're talking about giants, you know, and and I don't know if they're talking about giants. But um, but sometimes when we think of the word giant, like we think of these big giant like people. And and but there's other ways that we use the word giant, like in our in our culture today, when we talk about, you know, someone who's like Taylor Swift is a giant, right? Like she's not physically a giant, but she's she's this. This person, you know, it's someone that you're telling these great grand stories of yeah. that was that they did some she's, some pretty amazing stuff. But she's I think a person of renown. Fits in that, yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. not the Taylor Swift Hercules. But. Well, she is a person of renown. <laughs> um, so, a couple of other things with uh, chapter six um, should be noticed uh, in verse thirteen. You know, it says that uh, that God said to Noah, "I am going to put an end to all human, or excuse me, to all people." For the earth is filled with violence because of them. Yeah. So yeah. God is trying to do away with violence. Yeah. Um, he, in some ways, He is, you know, just so grieved by uh, the world that we made with the free will that He gave us. Mm-hmm. Um, verse fourteen says, "So make for yourself an ark of cypress." It's really important to note that um, the word. Ark is uh, it's a, actually I think it's a, an Egyptian word. It's teba, uh, and it means box or chest. Mm-hmm. It's important to note that Noah is not building a boat. Mm-hmm. He's building a box. There's no, there's no, you know, there's uh, instructions in terms of how you should build this, but there's nothing about a rudder. There's right. nothing about a steering uh, wheel of any sort. There's nothing right. about um, putting uh, putting out your uh, what, what do you call that? Where you what's the word I'm looking for? There's nothing about a mast, um, right. sails, anything of that nature. Outboard motor. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, outboard yeah. motor would be nice too. But so the point is, is He's not really building a boat. He's building a box. Mm-hmm. He's building an ark. Um, and in the ancient world, uh, um, you would put your your images of the God inside of an ark, mm-hmm. out inside of a box. So what is God doing? He's putting his image bearers inside this box. Yeah. And what's what's also interesting to think about, um, and I'm stealing this from Bible Project. They've got a great podcast on this. Um, but there are three compartments of the ark, three levels of the ark. That sounds familiar. Which is uh, when you think about uh, the creation story, you've got the the world, mm-hmm. you've got the land of Eden, and then you've got this garden inside of Eden. Uh, when you get to the, the tabernacle, mm-hmm. you've got the outer uh, court kind of thing, then you've got the holy right. place, and then you've got the holy of holies. The temple, same thing. So this is, in some ways, pointing towards, um, pointing towards this meeting place between God and men. Yeah, no, that, that's good, and it's also, and it's not quite the same. But like when, when Moses made the ark, you know, they put the tablets of the covenant in. Yeah, there, right. Yeah, and and how many times does God say to Noah in? You know, I think it's twice, once here and, and also in chapter nine, that you know, I've, I'm making my covenant with you. Yeah. 
you know, and yep. it's like the person he's made the covenant with is now going to go in the ark. Yep. And yeah, I just picked up on this yesterday that like when the ark is closed, Noah doesn't close himself into the ark. God, God closes. closes the ark. Yep. You know, yep. and just a, just a reminder that this is God doing this. Yeah. You know. Oh no, no question. Um, and and I I think Tim Mackey mentioned that the word for ark that's used in uh, in reference to the Ark of the Covenant was actually a Hebrew word, mm-hmm. and so it's not tebah, but the idea is still the same. Mm-hmm. It's still, I'm building a box to put my image bearers in or my, my covenant members in, if that makes any yeah. sense. And I do think I do think the idea of... Because, of, you know, how often do we see, especially in the Old Testament, about, you know, God promising to save a remnant mm-hmm. from his people? And, and so he's... He's taking a remnant from no the old question. creation that he's about to wash away. No question. He's about to cleanse the world. And yep. by, the wor- by the way, the world kind of falls victim here to the sin and evil of, the, of humanity because, yep. you know, some of the animals get saved, but a lot of things get wiped out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you've got this, so this remnant of everything that's put in this box that's going to rise up with the water as the world is being uncreated. Yep. Um, and then float around for a while, and you're going to see some imagery from the original creation. You know, you, you see some Holy Spirit yep. kind of notes there about just the way that the ark is is the way they talk about it floating on yep. the surface of the waters. Kind yep. of reminds you of the the Holy Spirit kind of floating across, mm. you know, going across the yeah. the, the the chaos. Yeah. Um, and then the wind. You know, when God's kind of done doing what He does, that the wind comes and blows the water away. Mm, kind yeah, of reminiscent yeah. of the spirit in, in creation. Yeah. So it's just it's neat that it, that all those things are picked up on there. And obviously that if it must be important that that's happened, that it's being uh, no, laid no, out that no way. No question. Uh verse twenty two uh tells us that Noah does everything that God commands. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I just think it's so important to recognize that we don't get saved on our terms. Right. Sal- salvation is free, but it comes on God's terms. Uh, I, I think another thing to notice about the fact this is not a boat, it's a big box, is Noah really has, once he's in the ark and the floodwaters are happening, he really has n- very little control. It's just He's just placed himself in the hands of God and is really kind of letting God right. uh, govern over the situation. Um, all right, so you get to chapter 7. It starts by telling us that... Um, the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. That word righteous is sadiq, and it means it means just or blameless. Um, verse 8, uh, the animals um, come to, uh, you know, pairs of clean animals, clean and unclean animals of all creatures uh, that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as commanded, uh, as God had commanded Noah. I think it's really important, verse 8, verse 9, what is it showing us? It's showing us that animals now have more responsiveness to the voice of God than most mm. human beings, Yeah, uh, which, is, which is a real judgment, and, and that's a theme you see over and over and over again in Scripture, is that when we sin... When we rebel against God, we become more instinctive, more animalistic. Yeah. Uh, and so here, it, it's like, man, the world has gotten to such a wicked and violent place that even the animals are able to respond to God better 
than humanity. Right. Well, and also it's, it's interesting too, because, you know, and I think this goes to how we read the Bible, um, that, you know, everything clean and unclean. Yep. I, this is the first time I've seen those words in Genesis, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, like when did, when did God declare things clean and unclean? Yeah, sure. Um, would Noah have thought of them as clean and unclean, or is yep. this, is this, you know, if we, if this is written by Moses, yeah. obviously the people he's writing to have an, a concept of clean and unclean, yeah. but, but that's a new thing that's put in here that, that we haven't heard God declare that yet. So yeah, there, um, there's just, just something to think about when we read our Bibles that, oh, absolutely. that, you know, this isn't, this isn't just a, a, you know, a GoPro view of the beginning of humanity. No, that, no. And in, in a lot of ways you're reading someone who wrote this well after the fact, and they're kind of bringing in some ways their knowledge back into, uh, back in, in right. into this work. Um, so uh, another thing, as um, you had mentioned, so chapter 7, verse 23, every living thing on the face of the earth, earth was wiped out, people and animals and the creatures that move along the ground, uh, and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. Uh, the flood waters, uh, excuse me, the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Uh, God is washing the earth clean, as you mm-hmm. said. Um, but also, this, and you mentioned this earlier, I just want to tease it out. This is decreation. Right. Um, in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Mm-hmm. What's, the, what's the idea? The, the waters represent chaos. chaos. And so the Spirit of God is hovering over the chaos, and He's about to bring order out of chaos. Mm -hmm. In our rebellion, we bring chaos back into God's order. Mm -hmm. And then then finally God's like, man, this is is so violent, I can't even watch it anymore. I've I've got to clean the earth and start start anew. Well, it it does raise the question, too, just of, I know this kind of came up last time, just vocation, right? Because when when God made Adam and Eve and, and you know put them in the center of the garden, you know, something about their purpose to to rule over over the garden and to, to ultimately expand the garden out to yeah. the rest of the creation is that I think it's this idea that they're supposed to maintain God's order, mm-hmm. but then also bring order. Yeah, where there's not order, yep. and right, and it's everything we've seen up to this point has been the exact opposite. Yeah, um, and really, you know, obviously with with the serpent in the garden, you yep. know, it just jumped out to me in the past few weeks, right? That that that's obviously, I mean, it's an animal, but that Genesis goes out of its way to say that it's a creature, right? And, yeah, and and Adam and Eve had already been given authority over the creatures, sure, and now it's we're going to you you see the serpent usurping. Yeah, and and flipping that over a man, yeah, and um, you know, yeah, and it's just that's this is just more. This is a theme that's going to continue to happen, you know, all the way through the Bible. Well, and, and I, I think this is a huge part of why the author wants you to know that rain had never, uh, it, waters had never rained down on the earth because he wants you to get the picture that chaos was held at bay. 
when God created the world. Right, the water, the yeah. waters above were separated from the waters yeah, below. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now chaos is about to be loosed again on the land. When you get to chapter 8, um, a very interesting part of this, um, so the floodwaters are starting to recede. Noah uh, sends out a raven. And then later when you get to uh, verse, I guess, 8, then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground, but the dove could not find uh, anywhere to perch because the water uh, over, excuse me, because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand, and listen to this language, he reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. That's a very interesting language, right? It doesn't just say he opened up the window and the dove came back. It says he reached out and brought the dove back to himself. Then, verse 10, he waited seven more days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there it was, excuse me, there in its beak was uh, a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. Mm-hmm. Now notice the author is wanting you to really pick up on this idea of the dove returning to himself. Mm-hmm. It's not just it returns. Well, what's going on here? Um, to me, that language is really interesting when you start thinking about New Testament texts like Luke chapter 10, when he says, when Jesus says, when you enter a house, first say peace to that house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Think about Jesus at the, at the baptism. Think about Matthew chapter 3, uh, 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and alighting on him. Mm-hmm. So again, there's this picture of, is, is this just a dove, or is the author starting to think about imagery of the Spirit being released and returning? Um, I don't know 100%, but I do know it is an interesting thing to think about Jesus as the new humanity, um, as the Christ. He now makes a way for the order of heaven to rest on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so just interesting. Um, well, I think it's also a prequel that we see coming up in, you know, in chapter 9, is that you know, God is making... God is making peace between himself and, and, and humans, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, mm-hmm. yeah, I did, I did this thing and um, I'm done doing that. Mm-hmm. And now, now there's peace between us. Like he, yep. in, in a way he kind of came and conquered, right? He's yep. like, like he's the conquering ruler that that's come and, and sure. you all got, you all went way off track. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and I, I don't think we touched on this as much, just, you know, with God, and the reason I asked how long, one of the reasons I asked how long do we think Noah worked on the ark is that God didn't need Noah to make the ark. Mm-hmm. God could create an ark. Mm-hmm. Um, God didn't just get up and say, 
tech with y'all. Yeah. Y'all are, are worthless. Mm-hmm. And just wipe them away. Yeah. He he stood by patiently. Yeah. Um, while Noah's making the arc. He's yeah. he's he's there and he's he's putting up with it. Um, and that's why that's why I mentioned the repentance thing, because it's like Noah's doing this and 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 you know, there's this time for people to understand what God is doing. Yeah. Um, but that he that he allows them time and then but there's a certain point when God's like, okay, enough, enough is enough. And it's not just, hey, I'm gonna punish you. It's I, I guess I wonder if it's this idea that you're you're not going to turn to me. Yeah. You know, it, it's not a question of you just need more time. It's like you're it's not gonna happen. Well, he, here's the interesting thing about grace. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've talked a couple of podcasts ago about prevenient grace and how you see that in Cain's life, how you see that in chapter 6 where God says, my, my spirit will not um, strive with man forever, uh, for he is mortal, you know, his, his, his years will be 120. There, so grace is this sense that God's spirit is striving with our spirits um, and, and, and then creating the possibility of real repentance, of real change. Mm-hmm. Um the thing that oftentimes people don't realize about grace is it is creating choice, but every time I resist that grace, my heart becomes harder towards God. So it's it's not, there is no neutral ground in the spiritual life. I'm either saying yes to grace and responding to it and growing closer to God, or I'm becoming more and more resistant and therefore hardening my heart um, and and those are themes you see over and over again in Scripture, right? Um, well, and that I want a God that. So you think in the ancient world, like even, even some of the gods that they would have in different nations and different cities. That, um, I think Artemis is one of them, where you could go to different cities and it wasn't it's Artemis, but it's not the same. The same qualities aren't attributed to that God, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's almost like I. I want to follow the God that affirms the way that I want to live my life. Yeah. And versus I'm going to follow this God. Mm -hmm. And following this God means that I've got to conform to to the way that this God wants me to live my life, not because this God just wants to, yes, just submit to me. It's that I've created this order a certain way. I want this world to function. I want. I don't want there to be chaos. I want there to be peace. And and when you live this way, when you treat people this way, when you care for one another, um, when you don't do evil, that my goodness, the goodness of my creation, will be maintained. And when you can't go, when you when you step away from that, mm-hmm. we get this cycle of evil that's going to ultimately lead to God having to flood the earth oh, over again. Oh, so oh, yeah. So you get to chapter nine and uh, nine verse one. Um, let me turn there. It says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. We've heard that before. Yeah. So essentially, what is God doing? He is, He's kind of got a new Adam and Eve. Uh, that's right. Noah is kind of his, he's pressed the restart button. Um, and then you get to verse 4. Uh, it says, But you must not eat meat that has lifeblood still in it. Um and for your lifeblood, I will surely give uh, demand an accounting. Um, yeah. Notice that, like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
God is again saying, don't go looking for life in something other than me. Um, So in the ancient world, you would sacrifice these animals, and oftentimes you would... uh, you would assume that the life of the God to whom you were sacrificing would somehow kind of come down into the food that you were sacrificing. Uh, and I would assume particularly into the blood because it's kind of the, the DNA carrying agent of, of, of the animal, if you will. And so, okay, now by consuming this, I'm taking the life of that God into me. And God is just making it very clear, look, you can eat animals, but never eat from that type of, of worship of like, this is going to somehow Im- imbue me with life, uh, the life of the gods. No, 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 no. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil again. Mm-hmm. You get your life from me. Um, so again, there's that, that sense of restriction. Yeah. Well, and that it's the, you know, the accounting for a reckoning, you know, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. So, yeah. so God's saying that anytime life is taken, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna require reckoning. Now that doesn't mean like don't don't kill anything, but when you take life, it has to be for for the right reasons, you know. And and what I mean by that is like obviously animals, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know animals hunt other animals for food. Sure, we're gonna eat animals for food. Sure. Um, but even with that, that there's a line that God might be saying is like, if you're just, if you're just wasting away life, yeah, you know, if you're just going in and just just killing lots of things for no, for no reason, reason, yeah, um, I'm gonna require a reckoning. Well, you know? and and particularly when it comes to human life, um, thou shalt not murder has not been established yet. Mm-hmm. We're not we're not at that point in the narrative. So this is in some way God establishing thou shalt not murder, uh, when, you know, particularly in regards to human life, uh, before, you know, several hundred years, before Moses, before the Ten Commandments, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then verse 9, God is establishing covenant. Um, and, of course, covenant in, in the ancient world was a way of uh, establishing relationship. It wasn't just a contract. It wasn't, uh, Greg, I'm going to sell you my car for $15,000. You give me a $15,000 check, and I give you a you know, bill of sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a way of saying, no, 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 I want us to be in a familial relationship. And here are the boundary lines of that. Like, right. um, And so this is uh, one of the first very clear pictures that God... Our God is is looking for a true familial covenantal relationship uh, to to make it with His people. Um, well, that the covenant is usually the covenant would be something that you would have a you have a strong party and a weak party, and that the strong party is setting the terms of the covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, the lesser party is agreeing to the terms of the covenant. Sure, and um, a neat. A neat because you hear the you hear uh, like treaty come up a lot. Sure. Um, kind of a neat analogy I heard was like a, a syllabus. Mm-hmm. Um, because you go into a classroom and it's 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 this this contract this agreement between you mm-hmm. and the professor mm-hmm. that you don't dictate. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. The the professor is like this is 
This is what you need to do to get good grades in my class. This is what you're responsible for. This is kind of the rules. Yeah. And you're you're coming into this and you're mm-hmm. a part of this. Mm-hmm. But um, and I I think it's important to highlight that because it's we don't we've got to remember that we don't get to set the terms on our relationship with God. Well, um, sure. You know, God God sets the term gets, sets the terms of the relationship. Um, and we have to choose whether we want to step into that or not. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I completely agree. I think, I think the ultimate difference is in, in the ancient world, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you would, the, the lesser would call the greater party the father and the lesser would be called son. Or if it was a, a, a treaty of equals, it would, or a covenant of equals, it, you know, they might refer to one another as brothers. And some of that language, I mean, it's definitely familial language, but some mm-hmm. of it's just, look, I'm the superpower, don't make me mad kind of right. thing. But which, what we're going to find later in the text is that God is actually coming at this from a place of really wanting family and not not being the bully, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, not at all. Um, but that's we're going to save that for another day. Um Noah 18, or excuse me, uh, chapter 9, verses 18 to 28. Uh, Noah, like the first Adam, partakes of the fruit in a way that unfortunately leads to more chaos. Yeah, and there's a few few different takes on that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He gets drunk. Uh, The text tells us that Ham sees his nakedness. Leviticus 18, just... There's, there's a lot of places you can pick from. They probably all apply, and they all make it equally as uncomfortable of a story. <laughs> so, Yeah, what, what is, seems to be the prevailing thought is that um, Noah's nakedness was a euphemism for um, him being raped um, uh, in some ways. Yeah, and, and Levit- Leviticus 18 also talks about the wife's nakedness being the, the husband's nakedness. Mm-hmm. So Noah's wife, her nakedness would also be his nakedness. So, e- mm. either, like I said, either way, it's bad. It could be, yeah, it could be that that the the son is trying to usurp his authority by being with mom, yeah. which is still gross. Oh my gosh! So, but yeah, so yeah. I think that's why in Leviticus eighteen, Leviticus eighteen, there's plenty of stuff about uncovering nakedness. There's lots of places it applies. Pick one. Yeah, it it. It doesn't change. It doesn't change the 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 outcome of the story, right? So. Yeah. What What is interesting though is the curse lands on Canaan, who's Ham's youngest son. Mm-hmm. Um, so Noah doesn't actually curse Ham; he curses Canaan. So that leaves you to ask: uh, Was it really Ham that committed the egregious sin, or was it Canaan? Perhaps Ham is getting scolded because he's responsible for the actions of his son. Uh, anyway, there's lots of mystery around this right. passage. What's it's hard. What's not mysterious is, again, there's a, a misuse of the fruit, mm-hmm. um, and it leads to more chaos. And it brings us kind of back to this point of God had proclaimed... In Genesis 3.15, you know, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Mm-hmm. He, he will crush your head, but you will uh, bite his heel, in essence. He's going to destroy your, your, your headship, uh, your authority, but, but you'll kill him in the process. 
And, and the whole narrative begins to ask, who is this man? Who is this head crusher? Who mm-hmm. is this person who's going to destroy um, the serpent's authority? And we were so hopeful it would be Noah, but Noah fails too. Right. Um, so let's get to some, some basic questions, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, what elements, what are the elements uh, that point out our need for Christ or, or elements that foreshadow Christ? Um, I mean, definitely, definitely the floating box, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just that there's, there's this thing that God provides. You know, he mm-hmm. provides the instructions. He, he gives commands. You know, he explains to know how to make it. Um, you know, there's, there's humanities involved, but, but it's, it's God running the show. And for, you know, for Noah's obedience um, and his righteousness, he's, him and his family are allowed to enter this box and they're saved from the decreation. Um, they're saved from just, you know, God's justice is present through this, right? Yeah. Um, and you're definitely seeing salvation. Um, well, yeah, I was going to say the ark foreshadows Christ right. in, in the fact that we are saved in, in Christ. Christ. Um, so God puts his image bearers in the ark, mm-hmm. and they're saved, uh, but they're not saved in their sin. They're saved from their sin. Mm-hmm. In essence, you don't get to come to Christ and say, um, I need you to save me on my terms. Mm-hmm. Also, Noah didn't get to go to God and go, um, save me from this flood, but do it my way. Right. It's, it's do it his way. Well, and, and, and God, you know, just touching back on his, his patience again, you know, it makes me, the fact that God waited so long and waited for the ark to be built. And, you know, you see that we're going to see this when we get forward with, with Abraham and, um, and Sodom, you know, and, and I think a lot of people talk about Abraham negotiating with God. I think he's more, Asking questions to God, like, wait, if there's if there's ten righteous, if there's five yeah, righteous, yeah. Um, that as much as sin and evil and chaos pain God, um, he also he also wants to preserve the innocent, yeah, um, yeah. and that he he doesn't want to he doesn't want to sacrifice innocence for the sake of 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 having to, you know, part of his justice of, of doing away sin. It's like. Is he punishing the world, or is it that the corruption that's allowed to happen from this evil that's happening? It's 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 God's not punishing that. He just he can't allow that he can't allow the corruption, the evil, just to, to maintain because it's going to continue to corrupt and create more evil. And um, you know, it's it's treating it's treating the symptom of a bigger problem. Yeah, that's good. So how do these chapters, particularly 7 through 9, how do they reveal the gospel? Uh, I'll take a stab at this myself first, and then I'll let you go Mm -hmm. for it. So uh, the gospel is that King Jesus is restoring kingdom order over human chaos. Um, And so obviously one of the things we, we don't tend to talk a lot about is part of how God restores order is through his judgment. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't want a, um, a new heaven and a new earth that looks as chaotic as the world does today, 
Mm-hmm. God has to bring judgment, mm-hmm. which means at some point God has to look at humanity and go, okay, if if you if you are absolutely determined to have it your way, um, you you cannot be a part of my new creation, of my new heaven and my new earth, because you're going to bring your chaos into my new heaven and my new earth. Mm-hmm. I want you to be there. I deeply want you to be there. I'm doing everything I know how to draw you into it, but if you refuse it, I, I can't let you bring that chaos into this new order. So when God cleanses the earth again, it will be from a desire to bring salvation for those who are willing to receive it, not mm-hmm. not um, for salvation on people who don't want it. Right, right. And if you look at some of the places in the New Testament where where this image of Noah, is, it kind of pops up. Um, you know, Matthew 24, uh, that's when, when Jesus is saying, you're not going to know, you mm-hmm. know, you're not going to know when this is going to come, but, yeah. you know, and he, yeah. he's talking about the, the, the day and the hour. Um, but also in, you know, 1 Peter 3. Yeah. And, you know, in 1 Peter 3, they're talking about people being persecuted, um, that that there's stuff coming at him, and he's, he's explaining how to, how to live, and then, and then he, brings, he brings Noah into it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah, so this idea that, you know, so first of all, Noah had to believe what, you know, God said something was coming. Mm-hmm. Noah had to believe yeah. that what was coming was coming, you know, yeah. and, and that, so part of it is, you know, the gospel is that, you know, if we don't believe that Jesus is the king, yeah. then then we have no reason to believe that God's justice is going to come, you know, ultimately. Absolutely. Um, but that also, that that means that we, what we do now matters, mm-hmm. right? Um, that it's not something we can just put off till later um, because we don't know when it's going to come. Yeah. Um, just like the people around Noah didn't know when the floodwaters were going to come. Yeah. Um, Noah may have said, hey, the flood's coming. They're like, yeah, whatever. Um, and then they're washed away with the flood. Um, you know, Jesus seems to be making a similar point. Yeah. Um, so just the idea that we we have this God, um, mm-hmm. He sent his son, um, just like, and and that ultimately God's justice is going to prevail. Yeah, and that that the the world is going to be cleansed of the things that corrupt it. Yeah, and and introduce chaos, and yeah. that's not that's not a you know how people talk about wrath, like oh you know God's going to get it's God's world is good, mm-hmm. and to stay good. It needs it. It needs to be. It needs to be full of people who want to live the way that 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 God calls us to live. Who who've submitted to the yeah. kingship of Jesus, right? Uh, and and live into His Matthew five through seven Sermon on the Mount vision, right? Uh, for creation, right? Um, and and is not and who are not looking for a God that just wants to affirm their you know their greed their lust, their, mm-hmm. you know, whatever ways that we we're all, you know, whatever tendencies we have to be corrupted and to, yeah. to put our sin out in the world. Yeah. Um, that, right. God want, you know, that's, if I'm looking for a God to just affirm that, then I'm, I'm going. The wrong yeah. Direction. Which you bring up a good point. 
that's why I love what we're doing in terms of walking through entire books of Scripture. Because if I just want to hold on to my stuff, I can kind of go cherry-picking Scriptures that I like that never confront my stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe it confronts somebody else's stuff. Mm -hmm. But man, when I start working through entire books of the Bible... If 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 my toes don't get stepped on, right, I'm just not paying attention. Right, read scripture; mm-hmm. it it will absolutely step on your toes. Exactly, in exactly. In, in a good way, because what what is God doing? He wants his vision is the kingdom. Right, his his vision is Matthew five through seven. Um. All right. So, final question: In a broken world, how would you use these passages um, to help? People become whole through Jesus. Um, and again, I, I know I've said this a few times, but just God's patience, God's grace. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just that He He wants to dwell with us, right? Um, and that God is going to give every opportunity, um, as we see you know, the time that it takes to build the ark, that God is going to give opportunities for us to, to see him, to, to love him, um, and to follow in his ways, um, not just as a chore, mm-hmm. um, or because he wants to put a heavy burden on us, but because this is, his ways are the way to a world that is opposite of whatever's going on here that's causing the world to be destroyed. That's good. That's and good. that if we, you know, the image, you know, the, the, the ending of Revelation when the city's coming down and, and just how you see the new creation described, right? Mm-hmm. I think if we look at everything that's going on for the past few years is, is people don't want corruption. Mm-hmm. They don't want, they don't want wars. They don't mm-hmm. want injustice. They yeah. don't want people being taken advantage of. They don't, they don't want... They want fair. Yeah, um, we grieve that, right? Right. That we all have this national, you know, natural inclination for that, and and but the way of the world produces all those things, mm-hmm. right? Because, um, you know, we see it with the city of Cain, right? Mm-hmm. That that they they chose to be God. They mm-hmm. chose to 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 choose right and wrong and create it for themselves. Um, if we want a world that that we all think is beautiful, mm-hmm. um, that we all think is good, then then we have to follow the king. Yep. Um, because he's going to love us, mm-hmm. and that I think the closer we follow him, the more that we find the personal relationships that we have that come out of that, mm-hmm. the way we care for each other, mm-hmm. um, just, just, just the goodness that you can almost feel, right? Mm-hmm. It almost becomes mm-hmm. tangible that... Mm-hmm. that you can only have that by following Jesus. There's yeah. there's just no other way. No doubt. Um, I think in a broken world, how would I use these passages to help somebody become whole through Jesus? I would ask them, uh, where is your life not in the ark? Um, where is your life not inside God's saving and redeeming plan? Um, because, you know, if we, if we come at salvation as just a legal declaration— is just justification, not sanctification. Um, 
we can miss the fact that God wants all of us. He wants all of our heart, all of our minds. You know, our, he, he wants he wants a, an integrated being that is inside His salvation plan. And probably um, as a kind of a tangential question to that, I would probably ask somebody, what part of your life needs to be in the community of God that's not there right now? Um, Because, uh, you know, it's interesting, Catholics um, think of missing Mass as a mortal sin, uh, I don't think missing church is a is necessarily a mortal sin, but I do think pulling away from the assembly of God, pulling away from the people of God, so that they can speak into my life, see my life, um, notice elements of my life that are just not inside God's redeeming plan right now. They're you know they're resistant to God's redemption. And, and, and call those things out and help me to see those things. I, I do think there's, there's something to be asked about that, and, you know, in terms of what parts of my life are not inside the community of God, not seen by the community of God, spoken into by the community of God in a healthy way, not, obviously not in an overbearing way, not in a um, manipulative way. So what's preventing you from getting on the ark? That's good. That's good. So, folks, there you have it. What's preventing you from getting in the ark? Um, all jokes aside, we just want to say uh, take this, help other people become whole through Jesus, use it in your discipling work, and we look forward to continuing the conversation with you next week. Be blessed.